Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show on True North on this Tuesday, November 21st. Not to alarm you, but we are one month and four days away from Christmas. Now, this kind of was, I, I try to consider myself as someone who's on top of the news, but uh, the news doesn't always mean the calendar. So I was yesterday at uh, the post office, which is like always a miserable experience. And I was, you know, sending something somewhere. It doesn't matter. Uh, I was going, I was actually, was going to Montreal. So it was international, arguably. But I heard Christmas music above me as I was trying to fill out the envelope. So that was what jarred me because like after Remembrance Day, we take like the solemn moment of silence and then you just blink and it's Christmas decorations everywhere. We replace poppies with poinsettias, uh, solemnity with Christmas carols, and here we are. But nevertheless, it is uh, a discrimination for me to point that out, believe it or not. The Canadian Human Rights Commission, this grand body standing up for human rights of all Canadians because we are a country based on rights and freedoms, a liberal democracy and all that jazz. Uh, but uh, no, 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 Christmas is the source of discrimination. Did you know that? This is from a discussion paper published by the Canadian Human Rights Commission, a discussion paper on religious intolerance. And it talks about how the ability to practice your religion is a fundamental human right. It's enshrined in international law and domestic law. It's protected by the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Religious tolerance is so important. But Canada, the report says, is a systemically religiously intolerant place. Religious intolerance impedes the ability of Canadian society to be democratic, welcoming, open-minded, and accepting, the report says, only by acknowledging how religiously intolerant Canada is can we begin to address it. So the fundamental basis of this report is that Canada is an intolerant country. Canada. Now let's take Quebec out of the mix here. I'm not a fan of Quebec's approach on forced secularism in some public spaces. Canada is a country in which you are able to have tremendous recourse if you find yourself the victim of discrimination. If you are told by an employer, say, or a prospective employer that you are not going to be hired for reasons that a human rights commission might think have to do with your faith, maybe you wear a hijab or a turban, well, you are going to get a tremendous payout. That uh, commission is going to throw the book at the employer who did that to you. We have, in fact, many policies that work against any criticism or skepticism you might have towards someone of another faith, towards someone of another religion. So we've actually enshrined a great deal of forced religious tolerance, forced multiculturalism, forced pluralism. If you look at where people face discrimination, I will say that there is a little bit of religious intolerance in Canada, but it works against Christians. This is why, for example, the Law Society of Upper Canada, sorry, you have to call it the Law Society of Ontario now, was able to deny accreditation to a law school that uh, Trinity Western University, a, an explicitly Christian university, was establishing. You cannot now be a lawyer who's gone through that and be recognized by many of the bar societies. And the Supreme Court said that was okay because they did not believe that Trinity Western had a right to be Christian. 
So that sounds like religious intolerance to me, but that's not what the Canadian Human Rights Commission is referring to. They discuss religious intolerance as evidenced by the fact that we have Christmas and Easter as holidays. Yeah, let's take a look at this here. An obvious example is statutory holidays in Canada. Statutory holidays related to Christianity, including Christmas and Easter, are the only Canadian statutory holidays linked to religious holy days. As a result, non-Christians may need to request special accommodations to observe their holy days and other times of the year where their religion requires them to abstain from work. But the fact that it says that means that people who are Jewish, people who are Sikh, people who are Hindu, whatever the case is, they have that right. You cannot, as a Jewish employee, be forced to work on Shabbat. You cannot be forced to work on the High Holy Days because even if you have a, an absolute jerk of an employer, you have the ability to go to a Human Rights Commission and they will say, or to a tribunal, and they will say, well, you've discriminated against this person. You've got to pay them $20,000. This is because we have baked in religious tolerance to the system. Now, if we're being really technical, non-Christians get more holidays than Christians because they still get the statutory holidays of Christmas and Easter and so on, but they are also entitled to the days off that they're wanting to take off for their religious beliefs. So uh, it was like when I used to work in Ottawa, all of the non-Quebecers would get Canada Day off, but the Quebecers would get Canada Day and Saint-Jean-de-Baptiste Day off because uh, that was like they didn't care about Canada Day, but they'd take the holiday and then take their bonus holiday on top of that. So the idea that uh, the Human Rights Commission is pushing here is just fundamentally flawed, but they explain what they mean by this because they say this is perpetual and systemic discrimination against religious minorities grounded in Canada's history of colonialism. They say our history with religious tolerance is deeply rooted in our identity as a settler colonial state. And there's another section where it talks about how it was colonizers that brought this tradition of violence and discrimination to Canada. The Canadian Human Rights Commission has a genuine contempt for Canada, a genuine contempt for Christianity. If we are to say that there are going to be statutory holidays in Canada, they have to be based on what it is that most Canadians are observing. And I hate to break it to you, but even a lot of non-Christians, uh, look, I'm a Christian. I believe Christmas and Easter are Christian holidays. But with Christmas especially, there's an argument that this is a far more cultural holiday to a lot of people than a religious holiday. There are far more non-Christians that put up Christmas trees and exchange Christmas presents than there are Christians who celebrate Hanukkah or Diwali or Ramadan, simply put, because Christmas is a cultural fixture of the West. And Easter, very similarly. I mean, all of a sudden, are we going to hear from the commission that when a big store plays Christmas music, that that's discriminatory? Because I might, I might be able to get on board with that one, actually. If the Human Rights Commission could, like, crack the whip on anyone that plays Christmas music for too long, that might be something we could all find some common ground on. For secularism, insofar as Christmas tune selections in retail outlets are concerned. But there is another side of this, which is that I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, the religious intolerance that exists in Canada in a systemic way is against Christians. That's the position I would have always taken up until about six weeks ago. There's an argument now that we have tremendous religious intolerance towards Jews. I wouldn't necessarily say it's systemic in nature, but certainly it is cultural and societal. 
We've seen since October 7th rampant anti-Semitism, not just people saying, well, I've got some issues about Judaism or some issues about Israel, but people explicitly making calls for violence against Jews and Jewish people. Take, for example, this charming young lad speaking at a protest over the weekend. Well, I'll say he gets points for timing and rhythm. A lot of the time, these uh, rabid leftists uh, don't know how to chant in rhythm and chant to a beat. But when we hear one solution, does that remind you of anything? Perhaps a solution that is final in nature? When we hear a call for revolution, resistance, and intifada, this is a call for violence. It's a call for annihilation of the state of Israel, which means annihilation of the Jewish people living in the Middle East. That is hate through and through. Now, I would say that is defensible under free speech grounds. I would say that is uh, very concerning. It's very uncomfortable, but that is freedom of expression in my view, unless it goes to the point where it is an explicit and direct threat. But there's no denying it's hate. And you know what? I have not seen any condemnations from the Canadian Human Rights Commission against that hate, nor any of the hate we've seen in the last six weeks, except for one single tweet. I looked back and I scrolled before going on air manually to October 7th to find every single tweet posted by the Canadian Human Rights Commission. And I found one that said the CHRC is deeply concerned by the dramatic rise in Islamophobia, anti-Semitism and racism fueled hate in our country. Now is the time for new legislation to address hate in Canada with a coordinated and comprehensive approach. Now, that came November 10th, one month and three days after the attacks, after the anti-Semitic protests started. And even then, it's a condemnation more of Islamophobia and even more a call for regulation of speech, which is a perpetual hobby horse of the Canadian Human Rights Commission. Now, to put this in contrast, I found about a dozen tweets that mention trans people. I found six tweets that mention asexual people. I found one honoring World Lesbian Day, which I didn't even know was a day, just a few days after October 7th. So this is all dwarfing the interest in the Canadian Human Rights Commission in condemning this form of hate. But now we have a full discussion paper on the perils and systemic discrimination of Christmas and Easter being holidays. Ezra Levant is the founder of Rebel News, and I will say the historic slayer of human rights commissions. He went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Alberta Human Rights Tribunal in something you absolutely must go and watch the footage of, because he understood early on that you should always bring a camera to these star chambers. Ezra, always good to talk to you. Thanks for, for coming on here. I don't look to the Canadian Human Rights Commission as a moral authority on anything, so I couldn't care less about what they condemn or denounce. But it is so revealing that they're silent on this explicit hate that we've seen every single day, but find the real culprit to be Christmas. You know what? They take a magnifying glass and a microscope to find hate in the goofiest things like the hand symbol, okay, that every human being does. Or um, I think of the cabinet minister, Yara Sachs, who said, honk, honk, is code for Heil Hitler, like like they were so absurd. And there was one agent provocateur at the trucker uh, convoy in Ottawa who briefly unfolded a swastika flag 
someone took a photo of it, then it was put away, mission accomplished. My point is they they would look for uh, any trace, any hint of something they could take offense to that was fake. But here we have actual swastikas, people chanting death to the Jews. And, and you know, in, in some places they actually use that language. In some places they use it slightly more coded, like that youngster you just showed, intifada revolution. Intifada is an Arabic word for a pogrom, really, a riot. Um, I have a harder line than you, Andrew. I not only think that the diversity, equity, and inclusion people, the anti-hate people, the human rights people, not only are they not looking for hatred when it's staring them right in the eye, I think they're a large source of it. Think of this, Laith Maroof, the guy who got a half a million dollars from Trudeau to fight racism, he was one of the worst racists you'll ever find. And the DEI, the equity, the inclusion, the diversity theology is based on hatred. Give me one second on this, Andrew. Mm -hmm. Critical theory, cultural Marxism, whatever, wokeness, whatever you want to say, it's this is how it works. Someone walks into a room where there's harmony and they think, how can I divide this group into oppressors and the oppressed? Can I do it based on class? That's what Marx did. Uh, the, uh, the innovation of the last 50 years was doing it based on gender. Men are the oppressors. Women are the oppressed. Transgenderism. Straight people are the oppressors. Trans people are the oppressed. Race. Black lives matter. I don't know more. And so uh, the critical theory, the leftists look at the whole world in terms of oppressed and oppressors, and they say anything is... Uh, any means necessary to go to war against the oppressors. So these DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion officers in every university and every woke corporation and every bank and every government agency, their job is actually a to foment discord and division and B to do it on explicitly racist lines. In conclusion, Andrew, I put it to you that in the last six weeks, the DEI and human rights industries not only have not been stopping the hatred we've seen in our streets, they have been the participants and the leaders and the volunteers and the organizers of it. We have a big problem with people who come here from endemically anti-Semitic places, Syria, Jordan. Mm -hmm. These are places where, according to pollsters, people hate Jews. So if we're bringing well, but not just hate, I mean want to kill, want to kill oh, yeah. in a large way. And that's that's the point but, here. I mean like a lot, a lot I don't like the moral equivalence of Islamophobia and anti-Semitism from these people for example because right, right. you know when someone is Islamophobic oftentimes it's very bigoted. When someone is anti-Semitic oftentimes it's very violent. It's a very good point and we've seen Molotov cocktail at a Jewish synagogue in in Montreal twice the same school in uh, Montreal was shot up, Jewish school. Big Jewish high school in Toronto. There was uh, threats, three people were charged. And then last week there was a bomb threat, the whole school evacuated. Mm -hmm. And and this is, and I think they're doing almost dry runs. They're testing what they can get away with. It's two parts. One is endemically anti-Semitic uh, mass immigration. And the second part, though, is their tag team partner, their, their, their maitre d', their concierges, the woke white Canadians who, who look at, I, you know, I was in London a couple of weeks ago for the huge, huge anti-Israel rally. There, there was more than 100,000 mm -hmm. people on the streets of London. And I, I spent hours in this crowd. And I was very careful, by the way, because the police were far away. And um, I'd say it was about 70 or 80 percent uh, 
immigrants or uh, uh, to the UK, but I'd say it was about maybe five, ten percent were woke college kids, but about twenty percent were old British Marxists, communists, Socialist Workers Party, hardline trade unions, Labour Party activists, because they just want to smash the system. That's what I say: the critical theory, the Marxist approach to the world, and so. 30 years ago, it might have been, well, like 40 years ago, it would have been disarmament, let's say. 20 years ago, it would have been, and so the thing of well, the it's day, whatever the trendy thing is, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever smashes. Yeah. You know, it's all about the revolution. As James Lindsay always says, the issue isn't the issue. The revolution is the issue. And so, you and same thing in Canada. You've got Iranian government activists. You've got... Um, DEI activists, you've got garden variety leftists, you've got, there are some just plain old anti-Semites there. It's this weird stew and it's a big problem. To talk about the human rights commissions here in, in context, I mean, you've been in this fight since before most people started paying attention to it. And uh, it's unfortunate that Section 13 is rearing its ugly head again, uh, you know, a decade after the conservative government repealed it. But the one thing we've seen through the federal human rights commissions and the provincial commissions and tribunals is that they do exactly what you're talking about. They take this very radical approach and it necessarily and inevitably puts group rights against each other in very confusing ways. I mean, the hilarious cases are when a transgender uh, biological male wants to get uh, her penis waxed by a Muslim uh, waxologist. And it's like, well, hang on, whose rights matter more here, the trans rights or the Muslim rights? When we saw massive protests against gender ideology a few weeks back in, in Canada, uh, it was you know, very much this industry said, okay, when Muslim parents uh, who have been the victim uh, under the oppression realm for years are up against trans people. No, no, no. The Muslims are now the oppressors. The trans people are the oppressors. And then a few weeks later, Israel comes up. Okay, now Muslims are the oppressed and Jews are, are the oppressors. So it, it's shifting here, which I think shows how inconsistent it is. But when human rights commissions and tribunals are given power, they're the ones who adjudicate this. They're the ones who have tremendous power and influence in society to really stoke these divisions. Yeah, you know, I think it was Laurenti Beria, the founder of the KGB and the FSB, who, uh, who said, show me the man, I'll find you the crime. And what he meant by that is, I'll get you somehow. There's so many laws, and the, and the application laws are so vague. You show me anyone, and I'll get you. And frankly, there's other government institutions that work that way. I, I think the IRS and the SEC um, in the United States are the similar way. My point is, these people... Whoever they choose to go after, they will convict. Because to call these things uh, legal, you know, to, to to compare them to courts, they're kangaroo courts. Uh, they, they're not bound by precedent. They're not bound by the same civil procedure. It's basically who gets to sit in those chairs that can smear their enemies. I give you the example of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, the mm -hmm. laughably named anti-hate group that decided <laughs> decided to simply go silent. For the first well, and, and whose founder, story. Bernie Farber, explicitly said, no, 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 we're only interested in hate from the right. Yeah. So we're not we going to have the, the resources. We don't have the resources to yeah. tweet our opposition to it. But you know what? The Human Rights Commissions were on holiday for three years during the worst civil liberties bonfire in mm -hmm. our country's history, the pandemic. So I, I'm they have to be absolutely pulled out by the root. And, and I think I, I see in some U.S. states, for example, Florida. Uh, the government is taking a, a position against 
DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, against ESG, environmental social governance, and basically saying we won't fund these things, we won't do business with these things, it must be eradicated. Uh, and, and even in the, in the private sector, remember that company, I think it was Coinbase, if I'm not mistaken, that said to its staff a few years ago, if you want to be woke, if you want to be an activist, that's not on here. So we're going to buy you out. We'll give you a nice severance payment now. And if being political is important, you go somewhere else, go work for Google. But here at Coinbase, we're about doing Coinbase stuff. And people took the buyout and they saved themselves not only so much woke BS, but just HR. Like someone who thinks that's important, they're going to be an HR problem. We have to root these things out of our larger society. These are the mm -hmm. troublemakers. Canada is actually a warm and welcoming and loving and friendly place. These DEI activists have to whip up hatred to keep themselves in business. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people with a lot of hatred right now. And, uh, and the DEI folks are pretty silent about it. Or like I say, they're just, participating. Just on, on the COVID era, I, I, would dis I would disagree with you ever so slightly on one thing you said. You, you said the Human Rights Commission was on vacation. I, I would say they were not on vacation. I think they actively and deliberately picked a side. And I, I had pulled up before I spoke to you, the FAQ that the Canadian Human Rights Commission published on vaccine mandates. The question, is requiring vaccination for re federally regulated employers and employees a discriminatory practice? No. Requiring that an individual be vaccinated to work or travel is not a discriminatory practice because they are intended to protect public health and safety. So again, this commission picks its side. If you are going to lose your job because of a personal medical decision, uh, you have no rights. If you are uh, wanting to uh, take a Christian legal education, you have no rights. But if you are, on the other hand, wanting to uh, chant death to the Jews, uh, well, you have the human right to free speech. You know what? I stand corrected, and I'm glad you reminded me of that. And by the way, they made that decision without a hearing, mm -hmm. without having facts tested, without having advocates on each side arguing it back and forth. That's that's what a real court would do. A real court. Yeah, would I mean, have a just just as a, as a technical matter here, the commission decides on its own whether to take up a case of a human rights nature. So the commission decides uh, before it even gets to a tribunal if you have a human right. <laughs> You know, I can go one better than that. And and um, by the way, someone who worked at the Supreme Court uh, told me this. Um, when vaccines were first deployed, the chief justice of the Supreme Court himself commanded that everyone at the Supreme Court be vaxxed. And, and they announced this publicly. So the Supreme Court of Canada has yet to weigh in on any uh, lockdown case, any pandemic case, any vaccine mandate case. I guess they've been busy with other things the last three and a half years. But but what's the point? Because no one less than Chief Justice himself, based on his own hunches and biases and intuition, decided to implement a mandatory vaccine requirement at the Supreme Court. Do you, you, you don't think every lower judge in the country, every prosecutor, every politician in the country got the message? Oh, so without a hearing, without the evidence, without a mm -hmm. back and forth, uh, the judge has prejudged the key question of our age, which is probably why there hasn't been a single significant constitutional um, uh, remedy that has overturned any of these outrageous laws. I mean, just today, we uh, one of our reporters, we just got the judgment today from a Quebec court. Um, our reporter was out on the streets covering the curfew. Was I mean, this Yankee? We, yeah, I know it was yeah. uh, Sydney, Sydney, oh, Sydney, but okay. Yankee had. So 
They're literally prosecuting our journalists who had a journalistic exemption for being on the streets, by the way. Those, I mean, I, I, it's it's a great ruling and the judge just tore a strip off the cops and the prosecutors as, as happened in Yankee's case too. But we forget, like imagine a curfew for grownups, vaccinated or not, sick or healthy, you were treated like a prisoner. You were under house arrest from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. That is what happened in our country. And not a single significant lockdown was ever overturned. And why would it be? Because the chief judge himself basically said, I'm a full locker downer. Don't even bother coming to court. I'll show you what I stand for before a hearing. And by the way, I he showed contempt for the system because he put his thumb on the scale and said to the whole world, hey, everybody, look at me. Like they literally put out a press release announcing their own vaccine mandate telling every lawyer and judge in the country, don't even bother, don't even pretend because the chief judge is the tyrant. And it, it was, there were a lot, you know what? The anti-hate industry are the haters. The diversity industry uh, are the ones who are whipping up division. And, and frankly, um, I think the courts have a lot to answer for. Um, yeah. And I, when I went to, to law school, I was told that the Charter of Rights was second only to the, you know, they wouldn't have even said second only to the Bible in terms of holiness. And that Charter of Rights was shown to be worthless during the lockdowns. And, go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say on, on Richard Wagner, the Chief Justice, this was also the man who will at some point have to preside over a case about the Emergencies Act, who in an interview which is not really part of his job description, said that the convoy held Ottawa residents, quote, hostage and unleashed anarchy on the city. So again, sending a signal to people before ever looking at the law and the facts that uh, ripples through the rest of society and the judiciary. I am glad you brought that up. Well, you know, this employee at the Supreme Court filed a judicial complaint against the Chief Justice for that. Uh, the, the complaint was thrown out and she was thrown out too. Wow. Absolutely terrible. Well, I suspect you will continue to hold the Human Rights Commission to account, Ezra Levant, founder of Rebel News. And I know it uh, came out, what, 15 years ago, but your book Shakedown was absolutely phenomenal on this. So I think it's still uh, available on Amazon. People should check it out there. Ezra, thank you so much. Thanks, my friend. Bye-bye. All right. It's great when he talks about, it's not great. I mean, it was, it was apt and I think accurate when he talked about how these DEI people look around and find a peaceful, loving, tolerant society and have to whip up and gin up hate and hatred to make it work. And I, sometimes I watch bad movies. In fact, I'd say most movies I watch are bad movies. Like all of the great, like fantastic uh, award-winning movies I've never seen, but like, you know, crappy, you know, teen comedies like Eurotrip and Slash films like Saw and The Purge I've all seen. But uh, there I watched, I, I don't think I'm giving you a spoiler alert here, but it came out a few years ago. So sucks to be you if it is. But there was this movie called The First Purge, which was like a prequel to The Purge movies. And the premise of The Purge is that every year for 12 hours, all laws are suspended and you can do whatever you want. You can kill, you can pillage, you can kidnap, you can burgle, you can do whatever you want. And the first Purge went back and showed the genesis. Yeah, Sean's complaining that they made the Purge films go woke. They did. The first one was this great like slasher flick. And then the next ones were all about like the oppression of racialized minorities by rich white people. But nevertheless, when I start a series, I have to see it through to completion. So, <coughs> excuse me. 
See, I need like my 19 straws now. I didn't bring them today. The, the first purge goes back to the genesis of it. And the theory from these like government experts was that we can let people just have an outlet for their rage and they'll get it all out on this night and then that'll be fine. And the what actually happened was they had this purge and no one did anything. People just partied in the streets. They just had a grand old time. No one actually wanted to go around and kill people. So what they had to do was insert all of these basically government agents to go and commit and perpetrate acts of violence because no one was doing it. And it was a parallel I sort of drew to the DEI industry, admittedly a, a less uh, exciting and, and less riveting one, where they go around and people are getting along and people of different faiths and races are having fun and Muslims are saying, oh, Merry Christmas. And Jews are saying, oh, uh, Happy Ramadan. And Christians are saying, oh, have a blessed Diwali and all of that. And then they're like, we have to find oppression here somewhere. Uh, you know, my parents love their coffee. So there used to be a, a little tradition where uh, when I'd go over there on Christmas morning, I'd stop at one of the only coffee shops that was open and, and pick them up Starbucks. And, you know, there was one time where I went and the Starbucks drive through was being helmed by a hijab wearing Muslim who had a Santa hat on top of her hijab and wished me a, a Merry Christmas. And I was not offended by it. I think I instinctively said you too. And she said, thank you. That was the society we live in. That's not to say there aren't people who are hateful. It's not to say there aren't people that are going to do terrible things. But these are outliers. And when they arise, they are condemned by people in this country. So when the Canadian Human Rights Commission, which is the latest example, comes out as an institution and says Canada is a deeply intolerant place, it's simply not accurate. When all of these government institutions a few years ago, responding to American news, which is the greatest Canadian pastime, start saying that everything in Canada is systemically racist, the government systemically racist, academia is systemically racist, the RCMP is systemically racist, that Starbucks is probably systemically racist. Uh, it's just not true. And when you have these DEI trainers that come into these groups and say, if you do not think that is the case, it's because you have white lenses. You're basically being blinded by your white privilege. This is what happened with that uh, Kike Ojo Thompson woman, that uh, Toronto DEI trainer. And my colleague, Sue Ann Levy, had a, a piece. She found all the invoices for uh, Kike Ojo Thompson's work and found she had collected like $300,000 telling everyone they're racist. That's basically her business model. And when she did this in one session with that Toronto principal, Richard Bilkstowe, she's trying to tell everyone that Canada is this deeply racist country, worse than the United States. He gets up there and says, well, I've lived and worked in the US and I've worked with underprivileged uh, racialized children and I dispute that. And what does she do? She accuses him of upholding white supremacy. So there's no winning in these situations. There's absolutely no winning in these environments. And all of us, all of us are being told that we have to view the very worst of our country, of our society, and of our institutions. And the Canadian Human Rights Commission, this is, by the way, a government-appointed body. That I mean, this is not just some woke NGO like the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, albeit one that gets government funding. This is a, an organ of the government. And it was doing this even when the Conservatives were in power and Stephen Harper had appointed everyone at the commission, including the commissioner who took it upon herself to be this like tremendous race prosecutor of sorts, uh, the late Jennifer Lynch. 
So this is one thing, and I, I had a few conversations over the weekend with some folks about this. This is where if there is a change in government, and let's be real, looking at the polling, Pierre Polyev looks likely to form the next government. Uh, it's not enough just to be in power and pass a conservative budget and some conservative bills. You have to root out all of these hate mongers in these institutions and appoint replacements that take a freedom lens to these situations. You need to basically do a hostile takeover of the CBC board, the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal board, the Canadian Human Rights Commission, and all of this, because otherwise these institutions are going to continue to do exactly what we've been talking about. And, you know, this report that I mentioned is a silly one saying, you know, Christmas and Easter are systemically discriminatory. But underlying that is a very real and very dangerous, and I would say, uh, to use the left's word, problematic view about the function of society. And I know there are people listening to the show that for whatever reason do not celebrate Christmas. These people are never the ones offended by displays of Christmas and Yuletide greetings. That's the, it's always like the white secular liberals that wage insofar as it exists, the, the so-called war on Christmas. So uh, that's my TED talk on here. As I said, I'm okay with the war on Christmas music, but I am not okay with the, the war on Christmas. And I just in, in closing on this, let me play this clip. This was Justin Trudeau speaking. I think it was this morning. It might've been yesterday afternoon, uh, making his dramatic defense of freedom of expression. Let's roll that clip. The people are forgetting a little bit that we're a country that protects the freedom of expression, that protects uh, liberty of conscience, that, that, that respects and supports people even when we disagree with them uh, across various points of view. That has been one of the strengths of Canada for our entire existence. We're a place that does diversity better than just about anywhere else. It's great to say we're a place that does diversity when pro-Hamas protesters are, are yelling about revolution and intifada against the Jews. That's like, you know, you don't mess with the Zohan without the redemptive arc at the end of it. See, like I said, bad movies, I know front to back. But the, was that a bad movie? It was Adam Sandler. So it's not, you know, exactly cinematic excellence, but I, I'm a big Adam Sandler fan. So uh, never that. Yeah, better than the love guru, Sean says. I haven't even seen that one, but it sounds, oh, is that the one with Mike Myers? I don't think I've seen it, but I, I like I recall from the old blockbuster seeing the the really hokey, uh, probably VHS at the time cover of it. So uh, nevertheless, that was I lost my train of thought on that. Damn it, Sean. The the love guru is uh, not Justin Trudeau. We're not talking about him anymore. But he gets up there and says the uh, you know, this great line that I agree with. Well, we, we respect freedom of expression and freedom of speech. I, I, there's a bit of an asterisk there, uh, except when we're freezing protester bank accounts. That's the point that I would raise here is that, you know, it's all about free speech when it's the left that's using their freedom to say heinous and horrible things. But if someone on the right wants to get up and say, oh, I don't know, I like JK Rowling, or uh, I think biological sex is real, all of a sudden it's, well, your freedom of expression has to be balanced against tolerance and diversity and that. But if you want to say, gash the Jews, it's, well, you know, free speech, what can we do? You know, da, da, da. So the liberals, you know, they started off saying the right things. They started off with explicit condemnations of Israel. The longer it goes on, the more they're seeing how many voters they have 
that are jumping up and down in those pro-Hamas or anti-Israel protests. And the liberals have started to get a lot more critical of not Hamas violence, but of Israel and of anyone who is opposing these calls to arms and calls for violence that we are seeing. So uh, that will do it for us there. We were supposed to have a, a chat about uh, central bank digital currency, but we've uh, been unable to get our guests connected. So hopefully everything's okay there and we will be able to reschedule that at the next available opportunity. But uh, I will leave you there. My thanks to all of you for tuning in. I am in Vancouver tomorrow, Burnaby specifically. I don't know how... I don't know if the de-amalgamated uh, BC gets like if people get angry when you start naming the wrong suburb, but I'll be in Burnaby tomorrow for the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms George Jonas Freedom Awards dinner. And I, I, I was speaking and I knew I was going to be speaking, but I thought I was going to be on a panel. I've just been told now I'm like speaking for 20 minutes. So I'll have to come up with some uh, some good jokes on the flight over there. But I'm actually on the way to the airport right now. So I'm going to race out the door here. My thanks to you all. If you are at that dinner tomorrow, do come over and say hello and we will have a grand old time. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.